Welcome to Tigers in 20, a Go Tigers 247 audio podcast. Your one-stop shop for all things University of Memphis Tigers athletics. Here are your hosts, founder of Go Tigers 247, Brooks Hansen, and lead writer for Go Tigers 247, Christian Fowler. What's up, everybody, and welcome back. I'm your host, Christian Fowler, and joining me this week is Go Tigers 247 digital content producer, Kenny Stubblefield. Brooks has been a little under the weather this week and a little too busy to get to the podcast, so Kenny is going to be with me this week. We obviously took a break last week with Thanksgiving, um, and this week was a little bit weird with the Bradley game being on Tuesday, so we're recording recording on Thursday night heading into the conference championship game. Kenny, second time you've been on. You excited to be back? Man, I'm excited to be able to talk to you again, Christian. You don't talk to me unless we're on the microphone together, and um, it's exciting, man. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be on. Oh, don't lie. Me, me and Kenny talk just about all day, every day. Uh, but moving right along, Kenny, uh, Memphis <laughs> got a victory on, on Tuesday against Bradley. Um, they're now 7-1 and one on the season, undefeated at home, 5-0 and no without James Wiseman, and finding a bit of a groove. What have you seen differently over the last three games? Because for those who don't know, Kenny's down on the floor for every game as our photographer, taking video, uh, taking pictures. So he sees everything at a better angle than any of us. So, Kenny, what have you seen over the past three games from this team that's been a little bit different from earlier in the season? Well, it was interesting because um, in the in the Ole Miss game, it was, it was pretty much a stark contrast, right? Like you saw the team, uh, you know, they played Arkansas Little Rock and then came in and played Ole Miss um, a few days later. And what I noticed was two things, really. It, it felt like the team had played with a lot more urgency um, against Ole Miss. Um, there was definitely the players that felt like that they were playing with a lot more urgency, a lot more discipline, a lot more um, – there seemed to be a, a, a kind of a motive for uh, what they were trying to do out there. And, and then secondly, the second thing that I saw was – they ran more sets in the Ole Miss and NC State game than we had seen in any previous game before. Um, I, I, there, there were there were definitely more sets that were called by Coach Hardaway and the staff, whoever had whoever had the scout for the game against Ole Miss and NC State. Um, they definitely um, put in more sets, put in more plays, and the team ran them. And you could tell that they had had a couple of good weeks of practice and and the team was ready. Uh, and they just played more cohesive. It, it, it felt different to me. No, absolutely. And I think it was a lot of the same against NC State. Um, and you mentioned this earlier when we were talking about um, kind of what they've done recently and how, how the Bradley game was a bit of an outlier uh, just because that was such a veteran team. I mean, that's a tournament team last year that took Michigan State down to the wire. They're a good basketball team. Um, and the way that they played Memphis, they slowed them down. Uh, they played good defense, played solid defense. And so I think that game was a little bit different than Ole Miss and NC State, who wanted to go a little bit faster and kind of play at the same pace as Memphis. So I do think that game's a bit different. Uh, Memphis still played decently well. I mean, the offense never really got clicking, but the defense arguably played their best game of the season. And to me, the most encouraging thing that I've seen is just the the chemistry and the communication with such a young team grow so quickly. If you look around the country, you look at Kentucky losing early in the season to Evansville, Duke losing to uh, SF Austin. I mean, there's these young teams, these freshman-laden teams are losing games that they're supposed to win heavily because they're so young. And, I mean, that's 
that's such a point of emphasis emphasis now in college basketball because teams are so young. Uh, there's a lot of teams that are made up primarily of freshmen, Memphis being one of them, and to see them click like this early, uh, especially against good teams. I mean, Ole Miss is a good basketball team. NC State's a good basketball team. Bradley's a good team. So to see them as such a young group with two of their best players out, let's keep that in mind, James Wiseman and Lester Quinones both out uh, for the NC State game and for the Bradley game, uh, and, and this core, this young core, still playing cohesively, still getting big minutes from DJ Jeffries and Boogie Ellis and Alex Lomax, who we have to give a ton of props to, had a career high against Bradley with 17 points, uh, and has really, really been the guy to step up with James Wiseman out, which isn't really what people expected because Alex did struggle in his freshman year, but if you know anything about Alex Lomax, he's playing his type of basketball now, uh, playing gritty, you know, his hustle is incredible, uh, getting down low as a smaller guard, just playing extremely smart basketball and being a leader for this team. So I think the way that this team has come together so quickly is very encouraging. Um, and like you mentioned, you know, running more plays, running more sets, which is something that we talked about a lot earlier in the season because Penny said he was just going to let them go out there and play matchup basketball, which I think I think made sense at the beginning of the year because he didn't want to overwhelm them, and now you see that he's putting more on their plate, and, and and you know they're really taking advantage of it, and they're really showing that they can handle it. So a lot of a lot of positive and encouraging signs from this team over the past few games. Yeah, no, I think Alex is the kind of player, and I've I've had the chance to see Alex since he was in I think seventh or eighth grade at Leicester um, when he was actually playing with Penny as his head coach, and. One of the things that I've noticed about Alex, even from the time that he was a kid playing the game, is that there are certain guys on the basketball court that when they get on the court and the ball's in their hands, good things happen. And it, it doesn't necessarily mean he's going to wow you with his physical abilities or that his every time he shoots the ball, the ball's going to go in the basket or all the things that we look for as what makes a basketball player a basketball player. But when Alex is on the court, the Tigers play better. And, and I think that that is a testament to um, his intelligence. I think that's a, te- a testament to his just ability to lead. I think his leadership ability is, is, is right on point. And um, yeah, when he get especially against Bradley, um, you know, the way that they played in high school, the guys like Boogie and, um, you know, guys like Damien, um, they're able to just kind of overwhelm people with their physical abilities and 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 it's true in a lot of ways like even in college boogie and and damien and dj they just can over they're going to overwhelm people on certain days but every once in a while you're going to come up against a team like bradley who's senior laden that has a lot of experience that um they know how to game plan and they're going to force you to make the right decisions and Alex Lomax is the kind of player who is going to make the right decisions is he going to wow you with his physical abilities every single play no but Alex is going to help you win and Alex is going to lead you to the win and it's been pretty incredible to see his growth just even over the last you know few months um, from the time that we saw him over the summertime working out and going okay something something is happening here to his game like I think me and you saw him Christian at a at a workout over the summertime and you I remember you looking at me and going oh Alex is a different player this year and and I think there was just a level of confidence that we saw in him even during the summertime and the work that he was putting in uh, and, and and that work is paying off right now and 
Alex is just the kind of kid that you want on your team. He is going to help you win. No, absolutely, and I, and I have a at least one more point I want to get to before we move on to football because obviously a big game, big game coming up on Saturday. But so much about this basketball season, especially the early part of it, has been made out about. James Wiseman for obvious reasons I mean he's one of the best players in the country could be the number one overall pick in the 2020 NBA draft um, especially with his suspension so he still has what a little bit over a month at this point uh, that he will be out won't be able to turn return until January 12th against USF and a lot of people speculated about what this team could do without him what their record could potentially look like if they struggled they would really need to play well in conference play to have a high seed in the tournament or to potentially win the AAC but They've taken care of business. I mean, like I said, they're 5-0 and without James Wiseman. There's really only three more games left without Wiseman that I think they could lose, and that's uh, next Saturday's matchup against Tennessee, uh, against Georgia with Anthony Edwards and the, and the talented young group that they have, and then against Wichita State, who's played well this year. Other than that, I mean, UAB, Jackson State, New Orleans, I mean, they've got some pretty pretty easy games in there. So at worst, I think you go 9-3 and without James Wiseman. I mean, at at best, could they go undefeated? Yes, but I, I do see them dropping one, whether it's Tennessee, Georgia, or Wichita State. So, as I said, everything's been really encouraging up to this point. Uh, Penny Hardaway's obviously put a lot on Precious Achiwa's shoulders. And during the Ole Miss game and NC State game, he looked like a completely different player. I mean, the first few games of the season, I don't think he hit one shot outside the paint against Ole Miss and NC State, especially against NC State. He showed that when he's really feeling it and really has has is having a rhythm that he can step out and, and hit some mid-range jumpers, even hit his first career three-pointer uh, against NC State. Now, Bradley game plan for him specifically, and you saw that. They forced him to take shots that he didn't want to. Um, but to me, what was encouraging, and this really wasn't talked about enough, is that he impacted the game in other ways. 14 rebounds and five blocks. If you're off like that and you're not able to score, like he, I think he had four points in that game, uh, to be able to lead the team in rebounds with 14, to have five blocks and make an impact on the defensive end of the floor um, is encouraging and kind of tells us where he's at as a player and that even if he's having an off night as an offensive player that he can still impact the game. So, And I know me and you uh, and Brooks have talked about it a lot and, and debated about it a lot on what he's been so far this season, but I think all signs recently – uh, you know, even even taking into account the disappointing offensive performance against Bradley, all things are really looking up for Precious Achiwa, who showed that he really can uh, have a complete game and, and do things that he wasn't able to do early in the season. I think that's strictly based off of confidence in himself and in his teammates. No, absolutely, man. Precious, um, you know, obviously, like you said, you know, shot three for 13, had six points in that Bradley game. Um, and, you know, but that's the thing about a good player is is when they are able when they know that they're off in one part of the game there are multiple ways to impact the game and rebounding is obviously one for precious that he is um, I, I, has there been a game that he hasn't had double digit rebounds this year do you know Christian uh yeah I think his first double double was only a couple games ago he was close he was around the eight or nine mark every game he's had he's had high rebound the numbers every game last three games he's had double digits yeah, I mean he's been he's been right there in close to double digit rebounds in every game this year, pretty much. And and then obviously, like you said, the five blocks. I mean that is that's one thing that you miss with James, right? Is the the ability to defend the the, the paint. The college basketball is such a unique game in that you've got a you've got these massive kids. Precious is six nine. James is seven foot one. Uh, they're able to stand in the paint and just block the rim and and you know missing James not having James in on the defensive side is 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 a is tough for the team 
But Precious is stepping in admirably. I mean, he came in and had five blocks. I mean, he came in and had multiple rebounds, cleaned up the cleaned up the um, the glass for the Tigers. Um, you know, all the guys, you know, are, are are doing well. I think that's one thing that that uh, that Coach Penny has said that the team needs to get better at. The guards need to get better at is coming down and, and rebounding with the big guys. But um, you know. Precious is definitely showing himself to be more than just a dominant physical talent like he was in high school. He's, he's able to impact the game in multiple ways. And I think one thing that we need to talk about that we haven't discussed about basketball, um, I know you wanted to move on, but we've had a sighting over the last two games. And it has warmed my heart to see Malcolm Dandridge out on the basketball court. What about you? Oh, abs- absolutely. Totally forgot about that. So, for those that don't know, and, I, and we really haven't discussed this too much at length, but we got to spend an extended amount of time with, with East High School last year, kind of followed them around, what was it, their last 15 or 20 games that, that we got to be with the team and, and really get close to those guys. So we have a, a, a unique relationship with, with Malcolm Dandridge, and he is, honest to God, one of my one of my favorite people ever. He is such a good kid, uh, such a hard worker, such a talented basketball player. Uh, and to see him come back, he obviously came back against NC State, uh, looked a little bit lost out there, kind of like you expect someone who's making their collegiate debut and coming off of a torn ACL and meniscus, which was repaired in March. So, you know, only nine months ago at this point, uh, looked a little bit lost, looked a lot more comfortable against Bradley, uh, didn't get to play a ton of minutes, but did impact the game on the glass, on the defensive end. And somebody that I think is going to make a big impact, I think on the last episode, uh, with Brooks, I, I said, you know, I expect Malcolm Dandridge to come back, and this was right before the NC State game. I said I expected him to come back, and and you know that they needed him back with James Wiseman gone. Uh, and I think before James gets back, Malcolm's really going to find his footing and be able to make an impact because Lance Thomas has been so-so. He's had games where he's been very good, especially if you look at the NC State game uh, and games where he hasn't made as much of an impact. And Isaiah Maurice just really isn't really isn't a big who's going to go fight for rebounds or, or be a rim protector or be strong down low in the paint. And Malcolm is that guy. So I think by the time James gets gets back uh, into the lineup on January 12th, I think Malcolm Dandridge is, is definitely going to be a difference maker for this team. What do you think? Um, so do this for the people that are listening to the podcast. Um, there's a There's a – whenever anybody talks about Malcolm, they talk about the lunchbox, the hard worker guy, this, that, that. What do you expect to see as he develops? I mean, as he's getting more and more used. I mean, if you haven't played basketball in a in an intense situation um, in a long time, it is the the timing and the instincts. They are they have. It takes a couple of games for them to come back. Um, the fact that Malcolm has has made a it took nine months to come back from a a torn MC or torn ACL and a torn meniscus is pretty unbelievable. It shows kind of how physically gifted he is, how his body is is designed, I guess. But what do you see as he starts to acclimate himself back into the team, back into playing competitive basketball again? What are some of the things you see uh, that, that you expect to see out of Malcolm over the next you know few weeks? Well, you mentioned that's like the first thing brought up with him. He's, he's like the lunch pail, come to work do the dirty work type of player and he he is I'm not gonna say he's not because he gets rebounds he he gets down he hustles he does things he's a lot like Alex Lomax in, in a six foot ten form uh, because he is willing to go in and put in the work and, and do the dirty things 
but he can also run the floor a lot better than people give him credit for. And I think that honestly comes from just not watching him enough because, you know, as much as we saw him last year, uh, he can definitely run the floor. He's athletic enough to run the floor. He's a great passer for for as big as he is. I mean, as being a 6'10 power forward, uh, he's, a, he's a solid passer. Uh, he doesn't have an incredible extended mid-range game, but he can hit that shot if needed. So I do expect him to to impact the game in multiple ways and, and to maybe do a little bit more this year than people expected because, I mean, if you remember coming into the season, everyone said he was going to redshirt, which uh, it, it made sense. And, and could he have, uh, if James Wiseman would have never got suspended, maybe we'll never know uh, what the exact plan was. But, I mean, I think he, he can definitely be a valuable piece to this team in multiple ways just because he is that talented of a player. Uh, but with that said, Kenny, we're going to take a break, hear from our sponsors, and get back and talk about the 11-1 AAC West champion Tigers who will be playing on Saturday for a chance at their first American Athletic Conference championship. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, so Christian, we uh, are going to move on to football now. Obviously, the Tigers have um, had two really big weekends in a row. Um, Tigers are now 11-1. and one. Uh, just beat Cincinnati this past weekend, 34-24. to And now they have to turn right back around and do it again against Cincinnati for the AAC Championship. So, um, Christian, let's talk real quick about the Cincinnati game from last week and then move on to this week. What are your expectations and what do you see happening? Well, I think first off, like you said, the you know a little bit from the game from last week, it was obviously a big win. Memphis had to win that game uh, to get to this point, to get to eleven and one, have the first eleven win season in program history, and uh, to have the ability to compete for the conference championship this week. But it wasn't a typical Memphis game that we've come used to seeing, especially over the past month and a half. The offense wasn't as explosive, which is crazy to say because they put up over four hundred yards and had 34 points in the game, but it just didn't look the same aesthetically. Uh, they had a lot of times where they struggled to move the ball, uh, struggled to score points, and then I think you kind of saw it flip off of that trick play to DeMonte Coxie, and everything kind of changed from that point. Um, but overall, it was a good performance. The The defense had 15 tackles for loss, I think five sacks and three takeaways, uh, so you can't you can't say too much about how the defense played, um, especially you know later later in the stretch in the game, but... Now this obviously presents a very rare and very unique situation where you have to play the same team, not just twice in the same season, but back-to-back weeks. I mean, especially in college football, you see a lot where teams have to play each other twice when it gets to this time of year, when it gets to the conference championship, especially when you think back uh, to Memphis last year having to play UCF twice in the same season. But back-to-back weeks is 
is obviously a lot different. Uh, you usually in between your game planning for different teams, but now it's the same team, same same thing back to back weeks. And I think there's multiple different things that I'll be watching for. First thing is is what does Cincinnati Cincinnati do at the quarterback position? Uh, ben Bryant came in last week for Desmond Ritter, redshirt freshman, made his first start. In my opinion, I haven't heard a lot of positivity about him, but I thought he played very well. I know he turned the ball over three times, had two interceptions and a fumble, but as far as from a pure standpoint of throwing the ball, he was much more effective than than Desmond Ritter's been all season. Desmond Ritter on the year only has 1,800 yards. I think he has 17 touchdowns and eight interceptions. He's much more effective running the ball. Uh, with And when you have a running running quarterback, it's difficult to beat Memphis because they typically go up early. They typically score early. Uh, and when you have a team that's based on the run like Cincinnati is, it's hard to come back. I, I mean, I honestly think if Desmond Ritter played in that game uh, last week, I think Memphis wins by probably three touchdowns, 14 to 21 points. Uh, but Ben Bryant was able to keep them in the game with some big pass and play. So that's the first thing. I, I'm very curious to see what Luke Fickle does, who he starts at quarterback, because I think that determines a lot about the game. I honestly think Cincinnati has a better chance if Ben Bryant does start, which which may be an uncommon opinion, but I think just the just that how much better he is at throwing the ball that he presents a different set of challenges. Uh, because if Memphis goes up early and Desmond Ritter is at quarterback, then Cincinnati's going to have a hard time coming back and, and making a difference in that game just because it's so based on the run and they really don't have a passing attack with Desmond Ritter. Um, but other than that, yeah, with with Ben, with Ben, it was weird because with Ben Bryant, I mean, he's a redshirt freshman. Um, I, I don't think he's played. I don't think he's played much at all this year. Desmond Ritter's played no. every game, um, right. and so I'm sure the Tigers came in not knowing anything about him. And yeah, they they had no tape on him going into this game, really. And so, what's interesting to me is, and normally in in situations like that, especially having all the tape that you have on Cincinnati, where they're a running team, where they're their quarterback is a runner. Their running back, obviously, is a, a fantastic running back. When you be, bring in a redshirt freshman, I'm sure there's some expectation that, you know, he's going to be a guy that they're going to try to run the ball more. They're going to try to run the ball a lot. They're not going to really open the offense up for him because of his lack of experience and things like that. But Cincinnati kind of surprised me in that regard because they really did open the offense up for him. And Ben, I think, surprised the Tigers by actually moving the ball up and down the field. And I wonder, it makes me wonder about this next game because if Desmond Ritter does come back, I agree with you, the offense is going to look totally different for Cincinnati. But then you also have to wonder, man, they literally just played this guy last week and they now know what he can do. So they're going to come in better prepared for Ben Bryant. And so... It's going to be interesting to me to see how the Tigers' defense responds because I do think because they didn't know anything about him, they kind of came out and were like, you know, they went up 17-3 to really quickly. Um, and then in that second and third quarter, man, it just kind of – they had longer drives. Cincinnati had some long drives. They, you know, passed the ball around. They got the ball rolling. Um, and and the defense held up. You know, I think the defense stopped, stopped them when they needed to. They got some turnovers when they needed to. And – um, and I think they're going to be much better prepared this week for Ben Bryant. Yeah, and and you mentioned that Cincinnati kind of opened the offense up for Ben Bryant, and I honestly think the reasons they did that is that they were forced to. I mean, Memphis went up fourteen to three. Cincinnati obviously wants to control the pace of the game and and run downhill with Michael Warren, who's an incredible running back. 
but they weren't they weren't really able to because Memphis came out and jumped on them early after the kickoff return, and then the Kadarian Jones touchdown on the next drive. Uh, so with them going up two scores early, they really had to pass the ball. They couldn't rely on the run. They couldn't give the ball back quickly to Memphis, you know, if they went three and out from just running the ball. So they did open it up for Ben Bryant. I think a lot of it is because they were forced to. Uh, but that that's my main thing. That is my main key to this week is just kind of waiting and seeing what Luke Fickle decides to do. Uh, but other than that, I think we will see a lot more of an open playbook for Memphis. And uh, you know, all during the game, if you were looking at Twitter, the only thing that I saw really was conservative play calling. People were not happy with the play calling. And I think, I mean, obviously there's a reason behind that. And I don't think it was extremely conservative. And, and Norvell has has been uh, criticized for doing that in the past, especially if you look at you know both UCF games last year. A lot of people criticized him for... Uh, for going a little bit conservative in the second half after after building bigger leads, but I think it was to protect what they do. I think he didn't want to show everything. I think he he kind of felt like they were controlling the game the whole time, knew they could win it, wasn't going to try to show too much just because he knew if they won, they had to play them again. And then when you saw the game get really close, they started bringing out trick plays. They started opening up the offense for Brady White a little bit more, and I think we'll see that off the jump this week. Yeah, let's not forget. Memphis, let's not forget. The Tigers were ne- never never uh, uh, gave up the lead in that game. So all that conservative play calling that they were that they were calling, they still never gave up the lead. And so it it it, it seemed obvious to me at the time because I'm down there on the field, watch like you know taking pictures of the game. It seemed obvious to me that that's what Norvell was trying to do is. Let's let's win this game without giving away too much, and and uh, yeah, absolutely. And you saw, I mean, you saw when that trick play came out. They here's the thing about the Tigers: they don't do a whole lot of trick plays. No, not at all. They they just they just athletically run you into the ground. And so I think that 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 trick play obviously kind of sparked the team, and it and it you know moved them forward. They scored two more touchdowns after that, but. You know, I, I understood what Norvell was doing at the time because number one, they were never they never lost the lead, and number two, he knew if they won, they were going to have to turn right back around and play the same team over again. Yeah, absolutely, and and we mentioned this on Film Room, which will be coming out tomorrow at noon, so don't miss that. But me, me, Gabe and I mentioned it on there that the way that Memphis has played since Brady White started playing well. So if you go back and look after the Temple game. What Memphis has done is they've come out throwing early to set up the run and to jump out to leads on teams. And they didn't really do that this week, partly, I think, because you get the kickoff return early. You're controlling the game early. Uh, The defense was playing well early in the game. So it was really reliant on Patrick Taylor. It was short runs with Patrick Taylor. Kenny Gainwell was breaking off some chunk plays. And they really didn't push the ball down the field too much with Brady White. And I think that's because they're setting it up for this week. I could be completely wrong, but in my opinion, that's why they are. That's why they did that. They want to come out. They're going to be aggressive early. That's just Mike Norvell. That's the way he. If you look at the way that he scripts those first ten plays, they're typically very aggressive. Push the ball down the field. Uh, find the open zones in the middle of the field uh, with with their slot guys like Antonio Gibson and sometimes Joey Magnifico. So I think that's what we see this week. I think we see them come out aggressive, push the ball down the field. I think there's a lot more creativity this week. I would not be surprised if we see Kenny Gainwell lined up out wide more this week. Uh, if you think back to last week's game, 
uh, the first big play to DeMonte, not the not the trick play touchdown, but the first big shot down the field. Uh, Kenny Gainwell was actually lined up out, out wide more as a decoy. He ran a double route just to kind of hold the corner, and then you had DeMonte Coxie in the slot. So I think we'll see a lot more combinations like that just because it is creative. It's not something that's on film a ton. I mean, they have lined Kenny Gainwell up out wide this year, uh, but not as much. So I think we see a lot of creativity. I think we see some different things. I mean, we were – we're in week 12 last week, and, and Mike Norvell's doing things that he hasn't put on tape yet. So we're going to see some new things this week. It's not going to be all the same. It's going to be different. Uh, Mike Norvell is one of the best offensive minds in the country, and he has some of the best playmakers in the country. So there's there's really no telling what we could see this week, but I, I would say it's going to be very creative uh, and very diverse, and they're going to try to attack Cincinnati's defense in any way that they can. Do you think we'll see Antonio Gibson in the backfield? Oh, I definitely, <laughs> definitely think we'll see Antonio Gibson in the backfield. He is, he is absolutely taking on that role. Uh, I, 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 he didn't do it last year. I've never seen Antonio Gibson in the backfield until really that SMU game. I think they did it a couple times before that. But since he broke off that big run against SMU, uh, Mike Novell hasn't been able to keep Antonio Gibson out of the backfield, and I don't blame him. I mean, back-to-back weeks with a rushing touchdown, had one against USF, and had another one against Cincinnati last week. So that that wrinkle of having Antonio Gibson in the backfield has, has paid off. And there's no, like I said, there's no telling what else we could see this week. Any any different type of wrinkle could come out this week. Demonte Coxie in the backfield this week. <laughs> <laughs> now that one's probably not going to happen. Uh, Demonte is a great receiver, but I couldn't see him being a successful running back. Um, but <laughs> that's a good one. But Kenny, with that being said, um, I think we really hit a lot on this coming up week and and what it means for this team. I mean, I don't even think it's arguable at this point. This is this is the greatest Memphis team of all time, especially regular season. Uh, absolutely incredible, especially the way they turned it around after that loss at Temple, uh, going eleven and one, third straight uh, AAC West title. There's there's just not not enough that you can say about this team and this coaching staff and what Mike Norvell's been able to do. But with that being said, the biggest question right now even with the championship game coming up on Saturday, has been Mike Norvell. That is that is the hot topic in Memphis football right now, and rightly so because of what he's done at this program. Uh, every year he's been mentioned for head coaching jobs, but it, it feels a little bit different right now. It feels a little bit different right now. Um, the common belief as of right now is that he will not be coaching at Memphis next season. Um, and really really all I, I'm, I'm going to put on tape about that is I said this in the last episode as well. If it happens, I think Memphis fans should just be excited for him that he's that he's getting a different job and and going to be able to move on and and move up in the coaching world and really show what he can do at a different level. Um, and if by some stretch of the imagination Memphis is able to somehow somehow keep him and hold on to him, then that's great for Memphis fans. But if not, he's changed this program. He gave this program some of the best seasons that they've ever seen. Uh, put some of the put some great players in the NFL. Uh, had some of the best teams ever. So I don't think there's there's anything negative Memphis fans can say about Mike Norvell at this point because he has uh, really revolutionized this program, taken from what Justin Fuente started and and built on it. You know, even more than I think most people would have would have ever even imagined. I mean, obviously, we're all fans of Mike Norvell. I mean, he's done some incredible things here at this university, and obviously, we would love to have him stay. Uh, for the sake of the team, for the sake of the city. Uh, but if he does end up moving on, one of the things that, that immediately came to my mind as, as these reports started coming out and it started to, you started to go, oh, okay, this is looking, like you said, a little bit different than in the last few years. 
the thing that the thing that immediately popped into my mind was how many coaches in NCAA Division One football all across in the largest conferences and the Power Five conferences and the biggest schools. How many of them have their roots here in Memphis? It's unbelievable the the coaching tree that has come out of the University of Memphis football team. We have our fingerprints everywhere in this in in, in NCAA football. Yeah, it's 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 extremely impressive. It's not what you would expect from Memphis. I mean, you look around the country, especially at some of the best staffs in the country, and you see guys that that got their starts at Memphis. And I mean, from Chip Long at Notre Dame to Kenny Dillingham at Auburn to Daryl Dickey at A and M. I mean, there's there's guys that started at this program. Clay Helton at USC. Clay Helton at USC. Uh, you know, Barry Odom was here for a, a, a an amount of time. I, actually, M- Memphis is the only place Barry Odom's ever been other than Missouri. Obviously, he just got fired and will ultimately be somewhere else. But all over college football, there are, there are coaches that came from Memphis. David Johnson at Tennessee, who's who's up there working with some good playmakers. So I mean, there there really is uh, a lot of guys that have come from this program. A lot of guys that have, that have come from Norvell. Um, and it's just different, man. It's just it's a different feel for Memphis football now, um, especially when you know when I was growing up that Memphis football was not even spoken about. So to see what Norvell has done with this program, uh, like I said, taking over from Justin Fuente and what he's been able to do uh, to turn them into a team that right now is in the top twenty, and if they win on Saturday, could be going to a New Year's Six bowl. I don't, I don't think I don't think any Memphis football fans could have ever seen this coming. So obviously. He's done great things for the city. He's been a great ambassador for the city, great ambassador for the program. And if he does ultimately decide to move on within the next few days, I I, I think there's there could be no no hate, no nothing nothing like that. You know, if Norvell does decide to leave because of everything that he's done for this program. Well, and I brought the coaching tree up for one really specific reason, and that's that obviously the people who make the decisions to hire football coaches at the University of Memphis know what they're doing, and so. Just, I think, I think trust that if it's Mike Norvell on the sidelines next year, man, he's bringing back a stud team. They're not losing very much. They're going to be amazing again next year. But whoever is the head coach next year is coming back to an incredible situation. I mean, and they're going to, they're going to make a good hire. It's not going to, they're not going to bring somebody in that's going to. Um, take steps backwards. This 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 program has built itself up now to the point where this is not a a a a backwards moving program anymore. This is a step forward program. Like if you want to, uh, if you want to win a lot of games and get your name on the map, this is the school to do it at. And so, I, I would I would just say, Tiger fans, like this, you know, celebrate on Saturday um, celebrate the team celebrate Norvell celebrate the staff that he has here um, and then just trust the fact that man the right people are in position and they're going to make the right choices for if he does if Mike Norvell ends up leaving who our next coach is and and he's going to be a awesome coach well with that being said Kenny we I didn't expect us to go this long but we're we're sitting about 35 minutes right now so I uh, I appreciate you filling in for Brooks. Absolutely kill it every time. I tell you every time you get on the microphone, you have such a such a much better podcast radio voice than me. It makes me jealous every time. Um, Brooks, but, you're fired. Brooks, you're fired. <laughs> Brooks, you're fired. Um, but head over to GoTigers247.com. We're still football season, basketball season, so there's content everywhere. VIP boards are loaded. Uh, thanks to 
thanks to ours truly, Brooks Hansen, always keeping fans plugged in on, on VIP recruiting news. Um, but Kenny, that's really all I got. You got anything else? Man, I'm good, bro. Thank you for uh, having me on. And, and Christian, not enough is said about how good you are at what you do, man. You're the man, for real. Man, Kenny always knows how to flatter me. But with that being said, that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to Tigers in 20. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love for you to leave a comment and a rating wherever you download your podcasts. If you are interested in daily content all about the University of Memphis athletic program, please hop over to www.gotigers247.com. Articles are uploaded daily, and you can join the Go Tigers 247 family by signing up for the VIP membership for even more behind-the-scenes information. 